Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to another episode of WA Expose, a podcast about local arts by local artists. As always, I'm your host, Aria Scarlett, with the immense privilege of recording this podcast on Wajak Noongar Budja. Born and raised in Scotland, today's guest loves nothing more than gracing the stages here in Perth. Although very flexible with musical styles, her feet are firmly planted in the jazz genre, and she's a regular at jazz clubs and local theatres here in Western Australia. Over the years, she's been a part of many musical groups covering songs from the 20s right until the present. This year, however, Avenue and along with herself will present their most favourite hits of The Seekers while weaving their journey from ordinary Australians to extraordinary musical icons through this show. The incredible performance is coming to Fringe World 2023 and it's my pleasure to be speaking to the lead vocalist of The Avenue as part of our Fringe World Blitz. Joyce Mathers, how are you? I am absolutely fantastic and it's just lovely to be here and lovely to meet you. You're looking very summery and floral today. And We try. Yeah, yeah. I, I like to put on a show for everybody who can't see me. <laughs> <laughs> Always my absolute favourite thing to do is a little bit of light for our guests. I'm enjoying your earrings. They're like a green and pink leopard love heart which are which is very very cool I'm, I'm enjoying them thank you thank you they match my lipstick they do <laughs> they most certainly do what's great is to do like an all black outfit and then just have like one thing that it's just like this is my statement and for you it's the earrings today and I'm, that's it I love it a lot I'm gonna get messages being like we can't see her ears <laughs> please stop talking about the earrings <laughs> so with that said um let's drive straight in so for you why music Oh, gosh, what a question. Um, Well, music, it's just been such a huge part of my life since I was a young girl. Um, As you've already said, I was brought up in Scotland and um, there was just music all around me. My mother had a transistor radio that she had on the windowsill in the kitchen and that used to blare every single day with all her favourite tunes, which was the likes of Dusty Springfield and... Um, and the Seekers, of course, mm. um, which actually led me to creating the show for the ah, tribute to okay. the Seekers. Yeah, music you but, heard growing up, amazing. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Absolutely, but you know, going back to music, I I think um, all of us are surrounded by music from such a young age. I mean, mm-hmm. the minute you get a baby into your arms, the first thing you do, well, first thing I tend to do, is start singing a lullaby. Oh. You know, and you can't help yourself. You mm. just sort of rock back and forth and, and you sing a lull- lullaby to the, you, the, the newborns. Myself, growing up in Scotland, it was a small village on the coast that I um, was raised and it was very church orientated. Mm. And music was a huge part of that. So um, there wasn't much in the, in the you know, in terms of like sport and things in, that, in the village. It was more about going to church and 
um, youth groups and that that were involved around the church and music was a huge part of that. So we used course, to yeah. come together and sing choruses as we called them, but they were <laughs> sort of um, gospel songs and um, I absolutely loved that. And then at one stage I decided to pick up the guitar. I learned to play the guitar and the piano and a friend of mine who also attended um, the, the youth groups, we got together and, and started singing gospels around all the different churches in our area. Oh, lovely. Yeah. So your music education was very heavily founded in the church. Did they teach you a lot of music through that time? Well, I learned at school and I had a, a guy who taught me after school. I had to take uh, a, a bus to go from, from the village to this town to go to school and um, the teacher was, was in the town. He was blind actually oh. and uh, he, he taught me the guitar and um, I would stay after school, go to my lesson and then visit an old aunt and go for my dinner before I, I came <laughs> home late. Yep. And um, so it was a bit of an, you know, an event for me every Wednesday night yeah. when I went to, to guitar practice. But we just absolutely loved it. And my friend Gillian and I, we always had this dream that one day we're going to be performing on stage. Uh, that was going to be my next question. What yeah. was the turning point for you from taking it from being just like something you did at church and something for leisure to on the grand stages that you perform on now? Well, I'm a late starter, mm. to be honest, because although I started off doing music when I was a young girl, you know, life just happens you get married, you have children. We're very much into business, my husband and I. So mm -hmm. we've always been in business, which, you know, anyone who's in business knows this, that when you have your own business, you're completely consumed and it's the only thing that you really have on your mind. And there's no time for other things. Mm. So as youngsters, we were in our early 20s, we decided that we would like to open a pub. Wonderful. And awesome. uh, so we went to, we, bought an old warehouse and we converted the pub into, you know, like a an easy pub where you could come and have um, food. And then upstairs we had a nightclub. Oh, amazing. Was this yeah. in Australia or were you this still in This was in Scotland. Scotland. We were still so in Scotland. Good. It that was an so amazing um, journey for us because we were just young, but mm. we were so full of enthusiasm. But again, music was a big part of that. Yeah. The 80s, it was during the 80s where disco was was king mm. and uh, so we used to play all the 80s music and Thursday, Friday, Saturdays our um, nightclub was full. Amazing. Um, Gordon, obviously your husband yeah. um, was a DJ you were saying. Yeah, so Gordon's a DJ and at the time Jane Fonda was huge mm. and I used to do all her Keep Fit stuff on um, you know, on a, uh, a DVD, not a DVD it would be a, a, a video player yes, at that yep. time and um, I thought, I could do that, you know. Yes, and, yeah, I love that. <laughs> and this was a sort, this is what Gordon and I were like, you know. We just, if there was something we wanted to do, we just jumped in mm. and did it. So I created this playlist of all the favorite music that was, you know, of that time. Yeah. All the disco stuff. And I became a keep fit teacher. That's so fun. Yeah. Okay. But ridiculous because I had no yeah. training. <laughs> Um, so I was just lucky that nobody honestly, hurt themselves. That's, that's so good. I think honestly, you probably had like the same amount of training that most like influencers on the internet have now. So it's probably correct, right? <laughs> <I> like, <know. laughs> so that was a huge success. And if one class um, led to, you know, five, six classes a week that I would be teaching as well as running this pub. Did you run it upstairs in the nightclub? Is that like the... Well, I did eventually. I took it to the pub upstairs and Gordon was saying, he says, when everybody jumps, the ceiling is starting. 
starting to wobble. So we had to get some professional people to come in, have a look at the roof to make sure it was stable enough, Mm. which it was, but we still um, renovated it with steel beams just to make sure that the roof wasn't going to come in when we're doing our keep fit classes. Um. Jazz music was always something that I loved, and especially the Andrews Sisters. Mm. I always liked listening to the Andrews Sisters. But at this point, it's kind of like just on the side. It's like a side plate to all of this incredible stuff, all of these businesses that you're investing a lot of time in. Yeah, well, I loved shoes. This is another little project that I, um, I started. And I said to my husband, I said, you know, there's not a shoe shop in this town that, um, I think suits my age group. So Mm. um, I went down to Norwich and I trained how to be a a shoe fitter, a proper shoe fitter so that we could fit children's shoes. Mm -hmm. And I wanted this vibe like um, a traditional old fashioned shop where people came in and service was, you know, um, the the top of the tree. And so we we bought this old store and we converted it um, to look like you know, an oldie worldy sort of shop where oh, it was navy blue in the outside with gold and you came inside and it was all balustrades and I sold the top quality men's shoes, um, leather shoes and kids' proper fitted shoes and um, matching handbags and, and shoes for the ladies. Absolutely top quality stuff. Mm. But the music to me made the customer experience something that was you this know so it was smart. Qu- quite uh, unique yeah. yes definitely yeah very and clever so it was basically stuff like the you know Ella Fitzgerald Nat King Cole yes. um when people came in it just kind of made everyone relax and mm. enjoy the experience of being in this store I think you've touched on something so important there yeah. like we often in spaces when we're curating a space and this can be like cafes and stuff if people just put on top 40 it's a very particular vibe but if you curate the music to your space you suddenly elevate the whole time your customers experience in there yeah wow so so we did we did really well and and um you know so two very very different places so the pub was pumping out you know the 80s and popular stuff and then we had this very serene and calm sort of place in our shoe store yeah Anyways, we decided to come to Australia. Long story, but I'm not going to bore you with that. We came to Australia. <laughs> we love a long story on a podcast. <laughs> and um, we wanted to, to bring our kids up in a, a different environment. Mm. The pub environment's not really a great environment for kids. <laughs> Fair enough. So we came across here. We loved the sunshine. We loved the lifestyle. And uh, we settled ourselves down. And um, my daughter was, you know, heavily, she loved music. And she played the saxophone. And at one stage, the teachers decided to to organize a choir mm. um, for the parents of the kids that were in the oh, music department. Oh, what a department. wonderful idea. So we all got together. It was about 50 of us at one stage. Wow. And so I was one of the founding members of that choir. Amazing. And every Monday night without fail, no matter how busy I was, I made time to go to the choir and um, and sing my heart out because... It's what gives me the you know the greatest joy. Mm. It's it's um, when you sing. There's just you know there's just something special about it. Mm. It changes your mood. Yes, there definitely. There's just no two doubts about that. Yeah, whether it's uh, screaming in the car or in the shower or in a choir, wherever you can get it, highly recommend. <laughs> yeah. So during my choir time, 
you know, the various um, conductors that were at the choir used to say to me, look, you should be singing solos. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm just too too shy for that. <laughs> oh, really? Um, but I was one of these hairbrush singers at home, so I really, <laughs> I knew I could sing, but I... Um, I just never had the confidence to stand out the front, but mm. I eventually did. And then, boy, once they got me out there, it was just like, oh, for God's sake, sit, sit yourself down. <laughs> Will you please go back to the choir? <laughs> was it, do you remember what your first solo was in that context? Um, yes, a nightingale sung in Barclay Square. Ooh. Which was, it's, it's such a beautiful song. I yeah. still love it to this not, day. Not your easiest piece to start off with know. either. I know. <laughs> what and a beginning. We always laugh because um, a friend of mine, uh, Cherry, she was singing, both of us sang it together in a duet and we were both so nervous. We were out the back with Rescue Remedy, you know, sort of, you know. To soothe the throat, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely terrified of the audience. And, um, but yeah, there was no stopping us once we got out there for the first time. Amazing. That's incredible. Yeah. So from that point on, did your business, because obviously you're an incredible businesswoman. We've talked about, I mean, gosh, in the car park, you were telling me about how you were owning an Italian restaurant. You've owned a pub, you've worked a nightclub, you've been a fit instructor. At what point did your business brain switch on and go, music, that that can actually connect with my business self? Well, I was very lucky. Um, I got the opportunity to be the third person in a, um, a, a trio that did Andrew's Sisters music. Oh, so, yeah. you know, I love the, the three-part harmony, mm. especially the Andrew Sisters because they're, the harmonies are so close. Yeah. And they're, they're difficult. You, you know, it is, it's quite difficult music to, to put together. Yeah, it really um, is. But I got the opportunity to play with a big band, a community band, and um, through that connections, I met Kemanin. Ah, oh, wonderful. And um, Kemanin was, um, you know, he played for me at one stage. I was hosting um, a barn supper mm. and I needed somebody to, I wanted to sing at this barn supper. It was all Scottish music. Beautiful. And I needed a guitarist. Now, Kim is just so versatile, it's unbelievable. Mm. He He can play anything. He'll just say, you know, what key do you want it in? Oh. And typical singer, I'm like, um, not sure about that. The and one he, it's originally in or <laughs> higher. <Don't. laughs> yeah, and he would just say to me, well, well, just sing the first line. And then you say, oh, yeah, that's in an A flat or oh, whatever. No. You know? Oh, I can't stand those people. I love the <laughs> intelligence, but I also look at them and go, how dare you? <laughs> I know. So we put together this, this little half an hour Scottish show and that's where we we kind of realized that we had something that mm, we could mm-hmm. we could start doing stuff together. So um, we started duetting, and um, I had to sort of look at it like a business. And if I wanted this to work, I had mm. to go and find the work. Definitely, yeah. So and and this is you know still true to to today. If you want to perform, you have to find the work. Definitely. That's yeah. a big part of it. And yeah. do you feel that like your incredible business acumen that you had from Scotland that you'd brought over with you was a huge assistance in you making sort of that hamster wheel keep turning? Yes. Yes. I mean, I was lucky enough that, you know, I'd, I didn't need the music to earn me a living because mm. it wasn't, a, you know, a primary thing for yeah. me. But um, having that business brain definitely helped, you know, it's, I find that you can't be afraid to, to pick up the phone. 
Yes, that's really important. And we have like so many of our listeners are, are young artists themselves. So I think it's really important to just sort of reinforce those notions of of, um, of being proactive in your mm. space. So yeah, which definitely is your story and definitely something that you've worked really hard to achieve as well, which is amazing. Yeah. So we went from duetting to, yeah. you know, growing the band. And um, I had the pleasure of meeting Ashley Arbuckle, mm. who is an amazing um violinist yes and we we played together and that was a great little combination that we had yeah that would have been really interesting guitar the violin and the vocals and so we gigged around town for quite a while in fact there's quite a funny story um kim and ashley used to do some busking around town Mm. and they said to me would you like to come busking with us (laughs) and i'm like no (laughs) No, I feel that, yes. What if somebody sees me? You know, I always thought um, yeah. my vision of busking was, you know, like somebody that's really poor and, and they're trying oh God, to, yeah. you know, it just had such an old-fashioned way of yeah. looking at it. Um, because there's some amazing buskers out yeah, there sure. and they're earning good money, yeah. you know. Um, it's the hustle, yeah. However, they were playing at uh, Theatre Lane mm. down in Claremont. Mm-hmm. And I, so Kim persuaded me to come. I said, okay, I'll come along. So I went along and I was dressed with a big floppy hat so that I could pull it over my face and nobody <laughs> would know who I was. And big um, sunglasses. I was determined that nobody was going to know it was oh me. Oh my gosh, you were incognito. So, yeah. So we set up and we started playing and oh my God, the acoustics in Theatre Lane are absolutely mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. So um, we started and the very first and gig I did with them there, Baskin. I absolutely loved it. Did you immediately just throw off the giant? The hat <laughs> went off. The glasses went off. The drama. I just absolutely loved it. We got so much great feedback. You know, people who loved our music, and mm. and it was good. And I think as musicians, we do need people to compliment us and and tell us that we're doing the right thing yes. at times. You know, <laughs> yeah. I'll give you a wee laugh. We, we had a show on Saturday night. And um, we performed all the Seekers music. So would have been about 30 songs with two yeah, hours wow. of music. Back to back, yeah. And so the story, and one of the things that I love to do when I'm doing a show, and we've done many shows like Tributes to Peggy Lee, mm. we've done Dusty Springfield, yes. Doris Day, Beautiful. all that sort of um, well-known artists. But all of them have such incredible stories, mm. you know. And I like to tell the stories on stage. And sometimes you might just pull out a song that's not, it's not, for example, The Seekers, but it's connected to their story. Yes, yeah. And uh, this chappie at uh, at the end had said to, so out of the whole show with 30 songs, there was three that we put in there that was part of their story, but wasn't ones that they had recorded. Yeah, I think that's important because a lot of the time when you're telling, especially an iconic band like The Seekers, you can sit there and be like, well, if you don't provide context to what was happening in the world at the time, then sometimes their music won't make sense. So it's a good idea to throw in these numbers. So we did, and and he said, oh, we really enjoyed the show. It was fantastic. But it's just a pity that all of your songs weren't Seekers songs. Oh, (laughs) So, look, as a performer, you you have to be prepared for that. You have, I mean, this is my vision of how the story of the Seekers should be told. But not everyone is going to 
be on the same page. They're I, not going to like it. I really know? like, I'd love like, we should, if I could do math off the top of my head, I would figure out the percentage for you and be like, well, it's 97% sinkers. I know. I'm I so know. sorry that it's not a hundred. What was, do you, what were some of the songs? Cause we are going to definitely get into your incredible show. That is a tribute to the seekers very shortly. Yep. What was one of the songs um, that isn't by the seekers that you put in there? Okay. Um, one of my favourite stories that um, I like to tell is about when the Seekers found fame and fortune at the beginning when they were in the UK and they were on a BBC um, TV programme that similar to Top of the Pops. Mm. And it might have been Top of the Pops, actually. Um, so they were singing on stage before the Beatles came on stage behind them. So yeah. they were first. And John Lennon was in the background listening to the Seekers and the audience were going off because they just loved them so much. And apparently John Lennon had said, oh, well, they're just a small band, <laughs> but it's really us that they've come to see. Interesting. So that following week, the Seekers knocked the Beatles off the top spot. Wow. Um, which was quite incredible. Yeah. And the song that the Beatles you know, were performing at that time were, was Ticket to Ride. Mm. So that's one of the songs that we include. Because wow. I think that's an important story to it tell. It is an important story and something that like suddenly changes your incredible show that you're doing from being something that, you know, diehard Seeker fans would love. You suddenly make it so much more accessible to a wider audience by telling the story and adding these other songs in so people can go, oh, this is where it fits in my canon of music knowledge. Yeah. Otherwise, we might sit there and be like, okay, so I'm only going to like this show if I'm a diehard Seeker fan. But no, the way that you've done it really opens the door up to a lot of people. Yeah. And I really am so excited to dive into everything about this Seekers show that's coming to Fringe World 2023 as soon as we get back from our break. Queer. Bar, wherever you are, your perfect late night offering of glamorously gay song is here. In a Fringe World premiere event, the Queer Piano Bar is here to delight and captivate in a genre-blending masterclass of song, accompanied by premier Perth piano talent Gavin Nicolette. For four nights only this February, you can get your tickets through the Fringe World app or website. Sing the night away with a glamorous lineup of award-winning and critically acclaimed vocal talent from the best the festival has to offer. We're back. I'm still joined by the incredible Joyce Mathers, and I would love to dive straight in if you're, if that's okay, with absolutely. the Seekers, this show, how you're bringing it to Fringe World 2023. Tell me absolutely everything about this show. It sounds like it's going to be incredible. Oh, firstly, we're so excited to be performing at the Fringe. Oh my goodness, it's like a dream come true. It's amazing, especially um, downstairs at the Madge. Mm, it's a good venue. Uh, it's a beautiful venue. It's it's absolutely fantastic. Well. Kim and I have always been involved in um, creating shows together. So Kim, he puts all the music together for me. I come up with the ideas mm. and um, the music that I'd like to perform. And he's the one that puts all the music, um, you know, creates all the dots. <laughs> the dots on yeah. the stave, yeah. <laughs> so so we both have our, our own role in, in, in what we do. Mm. Anyways, we were putting together a 60s show. We were performing at the Kalamunda uh, Performing Arts Centre. Oh, we were doing a 60s show. 
And we're looking at all, all the 60s music and we came across um, one of the Seeker songs, um, I'll Never Find Another You. And I thought, oh my goodness, you know how music is brings you back to certain times in your life. Oh, you know, completely, yeah. Music creates so much memories for you. And that, that took me right back to my mum in the kitchen with a transistor radio <laughs> and listening to that music. And I thought, do you know, I think, I do remember watching them on TV as a young kid. Mm. And I never knew that they were Australian at that point. No, I neither. But, um, yeah, so I just threw it out there. I said, hey, how about we do a... A, a tribute to the Seekers, because I love all their music. So, of course, it's very different to what we normally do. So we needed to get um, players that were going to be able to, you know, create mm. four-part harmony. Yes, and this uh, group of people that you've constructed and put together, yes. they're incredible musicians in their own right. If you can tell me a little bit about your um, incredible band. Yeah, well, um, Matthew Bateman-Graham, he's uh, a bass player. And he's played with us before around town, you know, as, as a jazz group, and uh, he can sing. So so we thought Matthew would be ideal. Mm. And uh, he's an incredible musician too. He can put music together, and, and he's, you know, put a lot of the music together that we're singing as well, as well as Kim. And then Wayne Tallowin, I didn't know him so well. I'd never played with him before, but Kim had. Mm. And he said, oh, I think he would be ideal. He's, um, you know, a guitarist and and he can sing and he does the 12 string, um, which is, um, you know, part of the Seekers. Mm. Um, So we got together, we had a sing and we put some songs together and we thought, yeah, we're blending really well because that was important too. Oh, very important. I mean, it's all very well everyone being able to sing, but it's being able to have the right blend. Mm. Definitely. And of course, we have a hoot together. Good. So we, we all get on really well. And if, you know, Matthew is, he's very serious and knows an awful lot, you know, <laughs> so he can, t- he's a part of the storytelling. He, um, he knows a lot about the Seekers and um, apparently his mother used to play th- this music as well all the time. So it's something that's ingrained in his mm. mind too. Um, but I always consider myself being mum. Matthew being the dad and the other two are the two children. (laughs) So we have to control them somehow because they're always capering on stage and telling jokes, sometimes not so funny jokes. Sometimes it's only themselves that are laughing. (laughs) But um, yeah, no, they're, they're really great fun to perform with and we all get on so well together. That's really lovely. That's, that's so good. Um, And when it comes to putting on a show like this at at Fringe World, um, what is the sort of like audience that you're trying to like rope in and and cater to? Obviously you've created all of these beautiful storytelling layers and I'd love to know about who you're trying to attract with this incredible show. Well, I was thinking it probably is like the baby boomers (laughs) are the ones that's going to love this show. Mm. But we just recently did a performance down at Rodney's Bait and Tackle. Oh, beautiful. They asked us to come along. They said, oh, would you, would you be interested in doing something? I said, yeah, we could, we could certainly do that. And there was this group of young boys mm. there. And when I say young boys, I'd say they'd be in their late 20s, yeah. mid to late 20s. And they were sitting in a table just not far from where the stage is. And I thought, oh, my goodness, these guys, are gonna, they're going to hate this music because yeah. it's just nothing like, you know, the age group, the target age group. Anyways, they were absolutely delighted. They loved the music. Oh, good. They asked us, we have a version of I Am Australian. Mm. 
um, which was a song that was written by um, Bruce Woodley. And we have this, we did that version. And um, at the very end, when we'd finished, they came up to us and they said, we really enjoyed that version of I Am Australian. Mm. Would you would you mind playing it again for us? Oh, how sweet. So we played it again. And they were very genuine. You know, they, they came up to us afterwards and said, we absolutely thoroughly enjoyed that. So I don't know, a younger audience may enjoy the music too I don't see why not you oh know? definitely it, yeah it seems and I think I mentioned this briefly off air but I'll, I mean I'll say it again um you're celebrating Australian music in this tribute show to yeah. the Seekers obviously um where do you see like yourself fitting in in like the lexicon of Australian music because to me like you're 100% an Aussie musician because your whole career has been based in Australia yeah well Yes, I'm an Australian with a Scottish accent. Exactly, yes. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> I've actually been in Australia longer than I have been um, in Scotland. Mm. So, um, yeah, my f- my feet are firmly placed here in, in within Australian music. And, and we're I'm all very, the better for it. <laughs> yeah, I'm very proud to be presenting the show because, because they were Australian, because they were this family a wholesome group mm. um, that anybody could listen to. And they came in at a time where it was all rock and roll and drugs and yeah. one thing and another. Um, they were a breath of fresh air. Yes. And to bring that back, um, I think it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's really uh, quite an honour actually to be able to play this music. That's really kind. That's very kind of you. Um, with your own musical career in Australia and specifically in Western Australia, you would have seen trends come and go quite a few times. How do you compare like our local scene from when you started performing here to where it is at the moment, in your opinion, of course? I've only been in the jazz scene. So mm. I oh, only speak from, from yeah, your corner, I'm very limited into, you know, how I can answer that. But we've we've played to a lot of audiences, um, just in like small venues, restaurants, for mm. example, and so we've we've seen the music industry grow in terms of, well, the big thing was the Ellington when that opened, yeah, especially for jazz musicians. Mm. They we opened up a stage there where people could come any night of the week, and audiences could come for, you know. Like $15. Yeah, it really was accessible. Yeah. And you're sitting there in front of musicians that are amazing. You know, because we do have the most amazing musicians here in, we do, in yeah. West Australia. And you are, you know, I prefer that sort of venue to go into a big stadium and seeing, mm. you know, a band in a big stadium. I actually like that sort of, I can almost touch you um, <laughs> yep. staging. Um, and from the Ellington, we have the Duke of. George down in mm-hmm. Fremantle. Again, that's a wonderful place to perform in. It's a, a super stage, um, a big open space, and they are open to any genres. Mm. And it's not just focused on just jazz or, you know, lots of popular stuff, lots of tributes, um, which I think people love. I think tributes are becoming more popular, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, I think, yeah, I totally think that you're right. I yeah. think that we've sort of, we always push and pull between wanting original material and then going back and wanting that sort of good old hit of nostalgia. And I think we're in the nostalgia era at the moment. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. Um, and then, of course, you've got Lyrics Underground. Mm-hmm. Beautiful space, yeah. They have created such a wonderful space. And look, 
all of these places, the Duke and the Ellington and Lyrix Underground, if, if you're proactive and you can get yourself an audience, you can actually earn some money, mm. which is very difficult when you're a musician. Yes, you know, definitely. That's not the easiest thing to do is to actually earn, you know, decent money. But um, if, if you're proactive, if you are good on social media, which I'm not very good <laughs> at, but if you are young and got the energy and you can work that social media, you can create, you know, a lovely um, lifestyle for yourself. Definitely. And you've just said yourself that like social media is not your forte. In terms of being a proactive artist, how would you define that as somebody who isn't on social media 24-7, which is totally fine? I know. Well, I do do a little bit of you know, of That's social hard. media. I'm just no. I don't want to do it. <laughs> I know. I'm. I'm. I avoid it. I. I. Mm. I actually don't like it, but I. You have to do it. So yeah. you know, you have to find yourself. Um, like I advertise, you know, do the usual mm. Facebook advertising, but um, a lot of the times it's just, you know, creating an audience that want to come back and see you again. Mm. So you, what I often think with some artists is that when they create a show, they are creating it for themselves. Interesting. Yes, no, I totally agree. Yeah. When you really have to look at who your audience is and you have to create a show that they are going to want to listen to. Mm. So you might be a musician that um, likes to write their own music. Mm. And you have to be careful that you're not doing too much of that sort of stuff because your audience might not like it. Mm. But if you pepper your show with stuff that you know your audience is going to like and do your original music, I think you're onto a winner there. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's also a really good entry point for people, like what you're doing in this Seekers show, having that moment of being like, here's a song by the Beatles that maybe more people know and understand and now I'm going to thread it back into these songs that you may not be aware of, but are also just as brilliant. If you're an artist on stage and you've written your own music, it's often a good idea to have like, okay, but I was inspired by this, this, and this. And by mm -hmm. putting those artists in there, you're giving your audience an entry level, like assistance into your music. It's really smart. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, so <clears throat> let's do the plug of all plugs. Tell us absolutely everything to do with your incredible Fringe World 2023 show. Okay, so as I say, the Seekers was, uh, this tribute to the Seekers was born just by, you know, Kim and I having a chat about putting together a 60s uh, show. And um, we tried out some some various songs and we thought, yeah, we think this will work. Mm. Got the band together. We rehearsed, 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 um, obviously to get the harmonies right. Mm. And now we have got it absolutely the way we want it. Playing with to difficult be. harmonies is yes. something that you obviously really enjoy doing. <laughs> it's been a part that. of your lexicon for a hot minute. Oh my goodness, I do love that. It's I liken it to you know, like if you're playing tennis or, or something, and mm. you just get that you hit that sweet spot. Yeah, you know when you find that sweet spot in in um, in putting harmonies together. It's, uh, oh my God, it's just like no other. It's such a joy. Yeah. You don't even want anyone to take a breath. It's like, keep going, hold the note for longer. It sounds so good here. Oh, yeah. I know, I know. So um, so we put that together. And like I say, we weave the story of the Seekers, which they have a very interesting story. And, um, you know, they went over to the UK in 1964 and they were 
hired for 10 weeks. Mm. So they were hired to go on the Fair Sky, which is a boat that used to take the Ah, 10-pound poems from the UK over to Australia. I know a lot about this Fair Sky because... um, my day job now is as a celebrant, so I'm a ah, uh, of course, yeah. I'm a um, a wedding and funeral celebrant, and a lot of the families that I deal with with funerals because I write their eulogies, um, come from you know the UK and they've been on the fair sky that's brought them over ah. as ten pound poems. So when when I read that, I thought, oh my goodness, that's um, I know a lot about the fair sky. <laughs> this is your <laughs> my next segment of the show is called boats. And <laughs> I know, amazing. So um, so they went over there, and of course, when they landed in the UK, the boys who is um, were Keith Podcar and Bruce Woodley and Athel Gunn, mm. they had already sent demos over to the UK, got themselves an agent, ah. and when they landed there. That's where, you know, they had TV shows booked. They had lots of different gigs booked. And the British people just loved them. Mm. So I won't tell you too much of the no, story you'll now. To to the <laughs> you'll have to come to the show. Um, but there was, um, there was a catalyst to them um, gaining that amazing success that made them one of the most, you know, successful bands in Australian mm. musical history. And um, that was when there was a very popular musician was playing in Blackpool and her support band couldn't make it that day. Ah. Something happened and they had to pull out. And then the Seekers became that support band. Opportunity, yeah. And that was everything. Mm. That's where it all began. Wow. And then you sort of go from there in your incredible show and weave us through their uh, canon of music from there. And you do the stuff before as well. It's a very, very in-depth look at the Seekers in a very short time period. I have to say a huge thank you for you joining me today. I've had like the most wonderful time speaking with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, And as always, everyone, if you like this podcast, you can like and subscribe uh, wherever you're listening right now uh, or send us an email to waexposepod at gmail.com and we'll ask our next incredible guest. Thank you, Joyce Mathers, for joining me today. Thank you. WA Expose is an independent production. Our artwork was created by Georgia Sassenfeld and our theme music is Corrosive by Aria Scarlett and M. Burrows. You can find out more about the podcast or live shows at ariascarlett.com forward slash WA expose. Joyce Mathers. How are you, Joyce? I'm good. And it's actually Joyce Mathers. Oh, my God. Okay. I'll but that's the- okay. Joyce I'm- Mathers. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's, the o- it's the Oscar Australian in me that goes, Mathers, it was Mathers. I know. I know. It happens every day, but I just thought I might just <laughs> no, let you know no, um, before please. we go any further. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.